This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Carnivora. Get healthy and stay healthy with nature's nutritional powerhouse. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited because we have a board-certified veterinary dermatologist, Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, who's going to be talking to us about all things skin. So if you have an itchy dog or an itchy cat, you want to tune in. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. Our little dog developed this lymph problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out and had it analyzed and everything. And uh, at the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivore. We started that and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling dead. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to be talking about skin disease today. And you guys are probably thinking, well, that's a weird topic to talk about on ER Vet. But I will say, even in the emergency room, I end up seeing hot spots and really bad skin infections, even at 2 a.m. And I will say, I'm so empathetic to pet owners when they come in with an itchy dog or cat. And I didn't really understand this until my dog got diagnosed with skin disease and would wake me up in the middle of the night scratching. So really excited to be talking about skin disease today. Today, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, and she is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Lee. I'm always excited to kind of educate and talk about skin disease in our pets. Wonderful. So just since our audience can't see you, do you mind just giving us a little bit of information about who you are, where you trained and where you practice now? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, my name's Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. I currently practice in Portland, Oregon with Animal Dermatology Clinic. I originally went to vet school at Iowa State University and then did my veterinary degree at the University of Missouri I did a one-year small animal rotating internship at Purdue University and then did my dermatology residency with the company I'm currently with, Animal Dermatology Clinic, but in their Orange County location, and then made the move to Portland about four and a half years ago. 
just so people are aware. Veterinary specialists are a little bit different than veterinarians. So again, when a veterinarian goes to undergraduate and then veterinary school, most, I will say 80 to 90% go on straight into general practice. A smaller subset like both of us go on to do an internship and a residency. So we become specialists in certain areas. And I generally say most of the time you should seek veterinary care through your general practitioner or your family vet. But for more advanced cases, I often recommend referral. And I'm not going to lie, I am not good with skin disease. So I always utilize my veterinary dermatologist. Now, do you mind just telling me maybe the top three skin diseases that you end up seeing in dogs versus cats? Yeah, absolutely. There, there can be some crossover between dogs and cats, but things can definitely present a bit differently. So if we just focus on the dog, definitely some form of allergy is going to be the top thing that we see. And this can be broken down into ectoparasite allergies like flea allergies, some sort of food allergy or environmental allergies, and sometimes a combination of all of those, which can be really difficult. We also deal with a lot of infections. So that can be infections on the skin or infections in the ears. And this can happen secondary to allergies, but there can be other things that cause infections as well. So we always have to search out the primary disease Cats can be a bit different. We certainly still deal with allergies and they can get really itchy, but they have more unique ways that they can actually show us our allergies. So they can get what we call eosinophilic granulomas, which are simply just plaques on their skin. They can get oral lesions. And all of these are a bit different than what we see in our canine companion. So though we deal with allergies primarily, I would say that they show us our allergies sometimes in very different ways. I will say that I have a pit bull mix who has what we call atopy or the equivalent of hay fever. And I have a cat that has severe food allergies. And it really made me empathetic to how expensive some of these hypoallergenic cat foods are. And if my cat gets into something else, any other type of protein that my two-legged toddler likes to throw off the high chair. Unfortunately, so she'll start to lose her hair. And, you know, I've had to battle with chronic ear infections. So it really makes me empathetic to when pet owners are noticing these problems. So first of all, do you mind just telling me what signs should a dog or cat owner look for that could be a sign that their pet has a skin infection? Yeah, skin infections can be very tricky because they can look like many different things. And there's other things we see like other types of infections like ringworm or maybe mites that can appear like a secondary skin infection but be very different. So the main things that we're looking for, there can be abnormalities to the skin. This could be things like really bright red skin, scaly skin, really crusted areas on the body. This can have an odor. So sometimes we'll notice things, especially with really bad ear infections, we'll notice just a really strong odor or discharge coming from the ear canal. The other things we're looking for in these pets are clinical signs such as itching, but itching can look like lots of different things. Sometimes we focus on the thought that just traditional scratching is how a pet really shows us how they're itchy, but a dog or a cat, they can be itchy and show us in lots of different ways. So this can be scratching. This could be 
chewing. It can be licking their paws incessantly. It can be head shaking from having an ear infection or itchy ears. It can be scooting. So there's lots of different ways that they can show us their itch. So itch can happen from allergies, but itch can just happen from having an infection as well. So we combine what the pet's doing, such as showing us one of those signs of itching with what their skin shows as. So that would be things like redness, crusting, and scaling. And when does a pet owner know that they should go to their vet or in severe cases to an ER vet? That's a really good question. And it's going to be different for different people because it all comes down to the comfort of the pet. In general, when we look at something like an itch scale, which would be a scale from one to 10, a normal pet can have up to about a two on the itch scale. So occasional licking, occasional chewing, but they're not staying up at night like you mentioned that your pet has done. They're not uncomfortable. They can be easily distracted. When you start getting higher up on that itch scale, then that cause for concern because even if they're not showing us signs on their skin, we don't want them to get those secondary infections. So when we have increased itch level, what we'd consider more than like a two out of 10, or if we're starting to see those abnormalities like excessive head shaking, a lot of redness, pets really focusing on one area that they're chewing or licking at, then that's when you want to go see your veterinarian. And earlier is always better because the skin can change really quickly. So we really like to intervene in these cases before we do get those really bad secondary infections, which can make the pet even more uncomfortable. So again, really important to reiterate, it is really uncomfortable for dogs and cats to itch. And, you know, we oftentimes will see dogs scratching their ear or jingling their collar a little bit. But remember, if you've ever had poison ivy or you get a mosquito bite, we oftentimes will anthropomorphize the severity of the itch. And I honestly think that we underestimate the severity of discomfort in your dog or cat when they're itchy. So again, if you do see your pet itching, when in doubt, you always want to contact your veterinarian. Now in the emergency room, I'll oftentimes see hot spots. And these are basically a moist dermatitis and they can occur really, really quickly. Can you just give us a little bit of background on why do dogs, especially long-haired dogs, get hot spots? And is there anything I can do at home? Like, can I put triple antibiotic ointment on it or what should I do? Yeah, that's a great question. Hotspots are really common and they can be extremely frustrating because like you mentioned, they happen abruptly. And where we see an issue, especially in long haired dogs is sometimes when there are really mild signs, like they're just slightly red or maybe a tiny bit of crusting, it can be really hard to see in a dog that has a lot of hair. Like unless you're really separating all of that hair and examining the skin on a daily basis, it can be really hard to catch these signs early. And there's lots of things that can cause hot spots. Anything that causes a dog to really start chewing or licking a focal area can lead to a hot spot. So any of the different types of allergies can cause it. We certainly see it traditionally with a lot of flea allergy flares where we don't even see fleas. It's actually pretty common to not see them because they don't sit still and they're really small and it just takes a little bit of exposure on a walk or a dog going outside to maybe have a really hyper reaction from their immune system where we actually wouldn't see that flea. 
So because we can't often see the things that trigger these issues, they can catapult into problems really quickly. And what we see in these pets, and you may see in the ER, is if we do clip them or remove that hair, the lesion's off often a lot bigger than we expect it to be because we all of a sudden are removing all of that hair that's covering up our visualization. So usually these pets will have a bad secondary infection related to the fact that their skin has been compromised. So the big two things that we need to take care of, one, we need to identify the infection and treat it because that makes the pet itchy. But two, we need to provide some sort of itch relief or figure out the underlying reason that that even happened in the first place. So they can happen really quickly and it can take some detective work to really figure out why it did happen. All right. So if you notice a weird smell or weird fluid and you notice that your dog is scratching an area, especially if they're a long haired dog, you want to make sure to check out that area and get to a vet right away, even if it's in the middle of the night. Because I agree, these hot spots can happen really quickly. Now, I will say you should never put any kind of topical medication or start any oral medication without consulting your veterinarian because sometimes it can cause more harm. And there aren't a lot of home remedies you can do for it. I've also seen the weird freak accident where people are trying to use clippers or even scissors and they actually cut their dog's skin. And I saw one sad case in the ER where a poor owner actually cut the dog's tongue with the scissors while they were trying to groom. So when in doubt, please leave this to the professionals. Now you brought up a great point about fleas. I'm super paranoid about fleas. In fact, my indoor cat is even on flea and tick medication because my dog goes outside. And I'm based out of the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and it's actually snowing right now. So six months of the year, I don't have to worry about fleas compared in Florida or warmer areas where there's never a hard frost. Most people don't think that their pet has fleas, but what can you tell us about flea allergy dermatitis and what's your general recommendation? Do you think all dogs and cats should be on it year round or what do you generally recommend? Yeah, where I live in Portland, Oregon, we do have to use flea control year round. So you're right. It really can depend on the location and the environment and change of seasons that's present, but where we are there year round. And what I often see is that we don't see fleas because unless there's an infestation, there's usually not a high population that's present in the environment. But just like you mentioned, dogs often go outside, even if they just go outside to go to the bathroom. We carry things in on our shoes, doors open, windows open. It is really easy for any flea to make its way indoor. And I think some of my worst patients that have flea allergies are actually indoor cats. Because keeping them on flea control year round, especially where we're at, is often overlooked. And so often they're not protected. And since we don't see the fleas because they don't have a high population within the household, but we know that cats are where fleas want to be, it's really easy to overlook that being a part of the problem. So pretty much any allergy patient I have or any itchy patient I have, I'm recommending a high quality, a high speed of kill flea product. My philosophy is I want to control the easy things. So if I can control a pet's discomfort and prevent things like infections just by having year round flea prevention, and that stops me from having to use medications that can have side effects or having to use antibiotics if we can really avoid it, 
then I would much rather control that pet just by using something that is safe. And there are a lot of really good high quality products out that are safe and that are well tolerated. So I always like to make sure we're having that pet on flea control so that if they are still itchy, we can move on to other things rather than trying to mask things that could be easily managed. I couldn't agree with you more. I will say it is a nightmare to get rid of flea infestations once they come into your house. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to put chemicals on my dog or my cat. These are so safe and they're regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, at least in the United States. And as a toxicologist, I will say that they do extensive testing to make sure that these products are safe. My general rule is do what your veterinarian does. And both of these veterinarians use flea and tick medications on their dogs and cats, right? Because we don't want to have to use even more chemicals once you get one flea that comes into your house. Because before you know it, they're going to produce about 400 fleas. And 50% of those are going to be female. And they're going to produce another 400 fleas. And then it's really hard to get rid of a flea infestation. Please know that just because your dog or cat was diagnosed with fleas, it does not mean that your house is unsanitary or dirty. There's no association with that. It's just because they're outside and our pets are spending time lying in the grass and they bring it in. So again, it's not a bad thing. It's just, we want to prevent it because it can be a nightmare to get rid of in your household. Unless you're committed to vacuuming your house every single day and dumping the vacuum bag and using flea bombs and calling up a uh, pest control person, it is not worth it. Just keep your dog and cat safe by keeping them on a safe prescription flea and tick medication to help avoid this easily treatable problem. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Just like most vets out there, I've wanted to be a veterinarian since I was seven years old. And you know the reason why? Because I read James Harriet's books. For generations, James Harriet's memoirs, All Creatures Great and Small, and All Things Bright and Beautiful, have enchanted animal lovers and made me become a veterinarian. Now in a set of brand new audiobook recordings, Nicholas Ralph, star of the upcoming PBS Masterpiece series, brings to life the unforgettable world of James Harriet in his menagerie of heartwarming, funny, and tragic animal patients. Full of charm and wit, the audiobooks are the perfect way to delve into the magical stories of the world's most beloved veterinarian. The All Creatures Great and Small and All Things Bright and Beautiful audiobooks are available now wherever audiobooks are sold. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. My cat had issues that developed in his eye. And six months later, they had to go ahead and scrape the eye. And three months later, the same ulcer came back on in the same eye. So my veterinarian said, you know what, let's go ahead and remove the eye. So that night, I heard the carnivore advertising. So I said, you know what, I'm going to order this product. That way, at least I tried. They did the procedure. They did all the tests. To their surprise, they said, I don't know what you did, but I'll see you in two months. I, I kid you not. This product saved his eye. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet <laughs> 
back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been talking about all things skin related. We've been talking about itchiness. We've been talking about fleas and occasional ticks. Now, I wanted to ask you about some of the newer medications when it comes to allergies. I will say having a pit bull who has allergies, it's really, really frustrating because sometimes they need to be on long-term medication. They need some more veterinary visits. Now, do you mind just discussing when should you go to your veterinarian or when should you potentially self-refer to a veterinary dermatologist and what would you do differently? Yeah. In general, I think starting with your primary veterinarian is really important because there are a lot of easy things that we can rule out, such as good flea control or potentially a diet trial. But there are most cases that need some sort of chronic medication. Like you mentioned, we know atopic dermatitis, which is environmental allergies, are the most common form of allergies we deal with in most areas of the country. So symptomatic care, using medications that can stop the itch really quickly that are safe and that don't have many side effects like the traditional medications that we used to have to rely on can be really important. As a specialist where we see a lot of referrals are when we are going to do something like allergy test. And this is just for environmental allergies, but this allows us to figure out what the pet is actually allergic to through skin testing or serum allergy testing. But the most important part of that is we can actually formulate allergy therapy, either in a shot or sometimes an oral form, that's all natural. It's what the pet's allergic to. And that's why we allergy test. We know we can't avoid all these things in the environment that we see positives to because they're microscopic. Dust mites and weed pollens and grasses, these are everywhere. So we can't expect the pet to live in an isolated bubble. So our hope with making allergy therapy out of allergy test results for the environment is that we can actually try to desensitize the pet and really try our best to avoid using long-term medications or at least less of them if it's possible. So that's where we can be a bit different. We also see really aggressive um, infections. So if the allergies have been really difficult and we've gotten to the point where the infections are not responding to traditional antimicrobial therapy, then we'll often get the cases referred to us so we can get that pet under control. All right. Now, the next question I wanted to ask you, just because I have a cat who has really severe skin disease and is on a hypoallergenic diet, one of the mistakes I actually see a lot of dog and cat owners making is assuming that their dog is allergic to chicken or their dog is allergic to wheat or their dog or cat is allergic to corn. Now, when it comes to food allergy, it sounds like it's not very common. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of information on that? Yeah, food allergies, they're not as common as environmental allergies. We definitely see that it's not as common to only have a food allergy, though it definitely exists. A lot of times these pets are allergic and they can have a concurrent food allergy with their other allergies. So that can make things really difficult. When we're diagnosing a food allergy, the only way, at least right now, that we reliably can rule in or out a food allergy is to do a prescription, either novel protein or hydrolyzed diet or a really strict home-cooked diet. That's done for eight weeks very strictly. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we can challenge the diet to see whether or not it matters. At this point, 
the serum allergy testing and salivary testing for food allergy just isn't reliable. So we have to do that strict diet trial. And it's something you really want to talk to your veterinarian about to make sure you're picking a diet that we can really trust at the end of those eight weeks, we've done our due diligence and ruled in or out a food allergy. So working with your veterinarian or veterinary dermatologist can be really important. So we make sure the diet selected is the one that's really going to give us some answers by the end of those eight weeks. Now, I will say, what mistakes do you see people making when it comes to food trials? Yeah, there's a lot of common mistakes. I'd say one is assuming feeding a grain-free diet has ruled out a food allergy. We really don't see grain allergy as a huge source of issues. Most of the time, it's the protein source, things like beef or chicken, not because they're bad. It's just because they're really common for pets to be exposed to. We can see some carbohydrates as well. But I say just assuming you fed a grain-free diet means you rule out a food allergy would definitely be incorrect. The other thing we see is not being strict. So for those eight weeks, you really have to restrict it to just the diet that's been prescribed. And that's it. Working with your veterinarian to know exactly what strict means is important. Even if you just give a tiny piece of hot dog every day to get pills or a tiny piece of chicken, that can compromise the diet trial. So even if it's the smallest amount, it can cover up any results we'd get. So it's extremely important that we're being strict. The last thing I see as a mistake is length of time. So we can't expect that if we switch a food two weeks later, we know the result of that diet trial. Most of the literature really points to being strict with that specific diet for eight weeks. And then we can decide if the food has been helpful or it has not been helpful. If it makes you pet owners feel any better, I actually got yelled at by a veterinary dermatologist because I was doing a food trial and I said, well, he doesn't seem to have any issues with the milk bones that my mailman is giving him. And they were pretty upset with me. So again, you have to be really strict. It's only two months, but they can't get anything else only the hypoallergenic diet, because we want to see if they dramatically respond. And so when in doubt, you always want to talk to your veterinarian to see, is it fleas? Is it hay fever or the equivalent of what we call atopy? Or is it a less common food allergy? Now, last tidbit I wanted to ask you about. If you notice that your dog or cat is itching, a lot of times as a veterinarian, we'll do something called cytology. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we're using a way of looking at cells on the skin. This is really, really important. And I know you talk about this all the time when you lecture and teach veterinarians, but why is cytology helpful for the veterinarian? I know that you know pet owners will often say, I just wanna try the antibiotics, I just wanna try these steroids, I just wanna try the shampoo. They don't wanna pay the extra whatever, 60 to $90 for cytology. But tell me why you think this is the number one test that may be helpful if your dog or cat is itchy. Yeah, the skin is ever-changing, so that is a really hard thing to sometimes wrap our brain around, but things can look the same and be completely different, and that means that the treatment can be completely different. So almost every patient that walks in my door, whether it's their first exam or a recheck exam, if there's any issues or abnormalities, we're collecting a cytology because it is a fast test I can read before that 
patient even leaves the building and know exactly how we're going to guide our treatment plan. Not only do we have to use certain medications to relieve the itch associated with their allergies, but we want to make sure we're putting them on the right medication for their infection. Because if we used to always get a bacterial infection and all of a sudden it switched to a yeast infection, I'm not going to make that pet better unless I know that. The other thing and why cytology is so important is that's what I use to know when we can come off of those medications. So did we use the antibiotics long enough if we needed them? We certainly do not want to undertreat infections, but we also don't want to use things like antibiotics if we don't need them because that can breed resistant infections and that can make future infections much more difficult to keep under control. So cytology is just a really lovely quick test that can tell us so much information. I've also uh, been able to diagnose other diseases. Like we used to be an allergic pet that did have lots of infection. And then all of a sudden we see something completely different. Like a ringworm spore or some form of cancerous cells that we never expected to see. So because that skin is ever changing, that little cytology gives us a wealth of knowledge so we can make that pet more comfortable. I know it's really hard because a lot of times skin cases or chronic skin disease, it can be costly. And I will say that's one of the reasons why I'm always an advocate that pet owners consider pet insurance early because once a diagnosis is made, it's considered pre-existing. So when in doubt, one of the best things you can do is get pet insurance and that's unsolicited. But the main reason why is because it will help cover some of these tests that can be a little bit expensive, but are so necessary to figure out what's going on. So again, if you notice that your dog or your cat are itchy, they're losing hair, they're not comfortable, they have redness or even pimples, please check with your veterinarian. If it's a chronic case, you, you can always self-refer to a veterinary dermatologist. Dr. Bourgeois, thank you so much. Fantastic information. Love what you do. And do you mind just giving a shout out to your website and also your podcast? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Yes, I love to give little tidbits of dermatology because you're right. I have my own allergic dog that I get frustrated with. It is frustrating. It's something we have to manage lifelong. So I like to try to teach and just give information out. I have social media presence through Facebook or Instagram at the Derm Vet. Um, the dermvet.com is my website that centralizes everything. And then I do have a podcast that's really geared just towards these difficult derm diseases and how we can treat and communicate more effectively about them. And I didn't get too creative. I kept everything really simple. That is called the Derm Vet Podcast. So when in doubt, make sure to check that out. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Dr. Ashley Bourgeois and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Our little dog developed this lymph problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out and 
had it analyzed and everything. And uh, But the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivore. We started that, and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling dead. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out, and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. 